and welcome to the next in the uh, I suppose series of random talks with people that we happen to meet on the road. Sorry, with people that we fly across the world to meet to talk to specifically uh, here on Tanker Tantrum. Uh, joining me today is um, someone who is uh, yeah known to many people in the industry at all different parts of the world, Mr. Uh, Tim Barney. How are you, Tim? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for flying me in. You're a bit weirded out that I've kind of lowered you up to my hotel room. Yeah, no, it's fine. There's underpants you seem on nervous, the floor. You know, just, uh, just down there. Oh, Come yeah. on. <laughs> and I'm glad that I saved it for on, yeah. on Or maybe there. I did notice that they were there. Yeah, that's kind okay. Of the, part of the whole thing. You've charmed me. Yes, I have. Um, how are you keeping? I'm, I'm really well. Yeah, I'm really well. I think I'm 100% settled in Melbourne now. How long are you back here? It's just going on three years now. Really? Yeah. No. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that, yeah. I can, the thing that um, I kind of noticed after a while when you, when you, when you left Europe and came back, to, back down this way, is that you're, you're 12 hours ahead of me. Right. So the banter was gone. Yeah. Yeah, so I kind of sometimes feel as you get up in the middle of the night and have some banter with you. Right. Yeah, I do miss all of that. Well, I don't know if that's because I just don't really use... I mean, we're talking about Twitter, right? Yeah. Yeah, I just don't necessarily use it as much as I used to. Maybe that's because you don't have any banter with me anymore. Well, maybe there aren't people that I want to banter with, yeah. Yeah, That's yeah. probably the reason. Okay. Yeah. That's probably it. No, I do miss that. I do, I do miss... Uh, that was my connection to a lot of people in Europe, really. Was... And it's, isn't it weird the way you kind of like... I think, actually, we're probably a good example. Mm. Is that I, I'd say to people, oh, yeah, I've got this friend in, in Melbourne called Tim Barney, mm. and you should go talk to him. Or go yeah. Him. And then I'm like... Is that my friend? Yeah. Like I, I think yeah. before last night we probably talked for all of 28 minutes maybe. I think that was, yeah. I was happy to keep up that um, short amount of <laughs> actually face-to-face -face time. No, it's true. It's this weird um, automatic thing where you know someone online and you're very, you're more than happy to say to people visiting that particular city, yeah, go and speak to Colin. He's great. He's great. You'll really him. like him. Yeah. And what he tells me. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I've got no idea what he looks like, but yeah. <laughs> right. So let's start at the beginning. How did you get into coffee? Um, accidentally, isn't that the standard answer that yeah. that everybody says? Yeah. For me, it was um, just during university. I was um, working at a cafe called Il Fineo in St Kilda, which was a bit of an institution at the time. Um, the classic, you know, churning out lattes and flat whites. Yeah. Um, what were your aspirations at the time? Did you, like, was it just, did well, you didn't I, know what you wanted to do? Or were you yeah, studying I, for something? Yeah, or? I was studying marketing, um, business marketing at Swinburne. And, um, yeah, didn't didn't love that. Was kind of tired of being at, at, um, at school, I suppose. So, yeah, coffee and food and wine and... The hospo industry sort of captured me a little bit more, and hospo. yeah, hospitality, hospo, yeah, yeah, it's all yours. Um, and uh, and then you know it was just this sort of cafe thing that that all um, um, Melbourne University students do, I suppose. And then um, and then it was time that to travel, I suppose. So my then girlfriend um, and I booked tickets kind of on the fly to go to London um, in, in, in probably six months from the, from the date of purchasing. And off we went, yeah. 2005? This must have been 2002-ish, uh, okay. yeah. Yeah, so a, a long time ago. And did you bring the flat white in your suitcase with you? Or? Yeah, I bought the, the very first one actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't, I think, I don't even think flat white was up and running yeah, when I. Yeah, a couple of years after that. Yeah, yeah, coffee just it wasn't a thing. How bad was it? It was, well, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I was, 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 was. I mean, like, was it was it a stark contrast to how coffee was, what coffee was like in Melbourne? When, yeah, it was terrible. It was yeah. yeah if if we were comparing it to Melbourne, and I don't think that Melbourne coffee at that stage was particularly amazing. Yeah. Um, but we knew how to, we knew how to steam milk. Yeah. I think that was the thing. And we knew how to run a cafe and we knew how to do poached eggs and avocado and toast was happening back then. And, you know, this is 15 years ago. Wow. So that, that sort of um, Melbourne cafe model 
was was really well established even at that that's wow. that stage. Um, so when I came to London, it was um, had a really brief stint at an Indian restaurant called Mint Leaf, which actually it's so weird to talk about this now because I never think about it. So that was <laughs> that was really brief. And then I think the moment that I could say that I got into coffee was the moment Ben Presland, who um, was working for Illy at the time as a quality auditor, mm-hmm. whatever the hell that means, um, came into Mint Leaf to do staff training. And uh, he's from Sydney and, of course, um, you know, was blessed with uh, <laughs> having the, the, the Aussie um, barista skills. Um, you know, it's, it's almost an automated thing. It's like you're an Italian, so therefore you know coffee. And yeah. if you're an Australian, therefore you also know coffee. So, yeah, he came in to do training and, and I was like, I just chatted to him afterwards because he was from Sydney. And I go, so what's this job? What do you do? And he goes, I literally drive around London visiting my accounts, checking to see if the coffee's tasting okay, chatting to the owners and doing the occasional staff training. And I'm like, I want in. I want in. This sounds fantastic. I'm also from Australia. Exactly. And literally, um, literally, uh, probably a month later, um, Nick Peters, who was sort of the area manager for Illy in, in London, um, got in touch with me via Ben and said, look, do you want to have an interview? We need another person who does a similar job to Ben. And um, I was in service that day at Mintleaf for a lunch service and it sort of ran over time. And I was meeting with Nick that afternoon um, and I'd planned to go back home, have a shower, get changed, put on, you know, trousers um, and didn't have time. I had to run, rush off to the, to the meeting with him, to interview with him in flip flops and shorts and a t-shirt. Did you drop underwear on the floor? No, I didn't. But, but the thing is, is that that was exactly what Nick wanted. He wanted the Australian guy who, who could say the right things and knew how to, Poor flat whites and latte, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of how it came about. So how long did that last then? Illy was about two years. Wow. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's, I suppose Illy is one of those companies that's, I feel they're one of the punching bags for up and coming baristas. Yeah. that makes sense? Yeah. Um, but when you actually take a look at it, like they do an incredible amount of research, they have their, like their coffee university and mm. a lot of the best things of coffee has have started there absolutely you know? yeah did you get to go to it's trieste trieste yeah i went to trieste a couple of times um did you get a fritz storm class no really no i didn't get a fritz i've had a fritz not, I've not, never not had in italy but i've had a, i've had my own fritz i've fritz is not uh, another one of those guys that i've said about 17 words to so mm. yeah but um, uh, we had the tour. We didn't have any kind of in-depth. You're Australian, you already know it all. Well, yeah. But um, yeah, we, we, we saw, you know, what was supposed to be their sort of QC lab area. And we didn't see any coffee being roasted. Didn't see any green coffee. Didn't, really? Yeah, didn't see any of the sort of... Secrets. Secrets, yeah. Because I think it is fairly guarded, that, that mm. element. Whether that's the case anymore, I don't know. But... Um, it was very surface area. Yeah. Yeah. So where next? So yeah, so Illy was for for two years, and then um, one of Illy's biggest customers um, in the UK, or well, the biggest customer in the UK, was the Tate Gallery. Um, the Tate Modern, Tate Britain, Tate Liverpool, St Ives, um, all used Illy, mm-hmm. and so I would visit Tate Modern um, quite a lot actually, because obviously they had a massive. Um, team of staff and so therefore there was a lot of training to be done and um i you know it's great to visit a gallery f- you know for a few hours um for work get some fucking culture exactly yeah at, at last <laughs> um so i i'd visit a lot and became quite close with some of the um the sen- senior management there and and they kind of just made up a job for me i guess um there was was sort of in two parts. It was to be the members room manager and then also to help with um, sort of beverage and coffee. If they weren't roasting that, obviously. Not at that point, no. But they are now. They are now. Yeah, Yeah, so so weirdly, I'll skip ahead a little bit. I left London and went to to Oslo, but when I left, Ben Preslin, who was still at Ely, moved to the Tate and took 
took over from uh, where okay. I left off and created a much better role and part of that was opening the roastery. So yeah. he, he, um, he championed that and um, yeah, did a great job, yeah. So Oslo then is a bit of a jump then, isn't it? Yeah, so, I'd, so there's sort of, the, the story here is I was seeing a Norwegian girl in um, London and um, she went for a job at a Norwegian magazine um, didn't think she'd be qualified or that she'd get it, but I said, you know, great, go for it. It'd be a good experience to um, to have that kind of interview experience. Um, so she went for the job and got it. So we were left in the in the big decision of do we go over to Oslo uh, or do we stay here and not take the job? And she really wanted to do it. She'd studied and lived in London for quite a while as well. Um, so she took the job and then her cousin is a wine buyer in Oslo and knew Tim Wendelbow was opening his own roastery and cafe. Oh, so it hadn't opened that? It hadn't opened, yeah. And so, you, you had the latte art. So I had the latte art. Yeah. Well, I think they already had the latte art, oh, really? um, for sure. Yeah. Um, so I went over... And they had that thing, what's that called again? The... Oh, the Stockflats yeah. manoeuvre. I think... you always say this to the guys in the shop, though. I'm yeah. like, oh, really and they're like, what yeah. Well, I nearly dislocated my wrist trying to learn how to do that. Yeah, Tim was very good at it. He he dumped that manoeuvre. Well, he it was he him. It. it was him and Ina. Yeah. Yeah, who was a Norwegian champion after Tim, I think. Um, yeah, he did coin it. Um, I think I should like coin a bodily movement for coffee. Yeah. I I've done that. Yeah. Yeah, the distribution technique called the Stockflats manoeuvre. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people are going to pause the podcast right now and, and look Google, up Google. Google like, yeah. Yeah. Also, while you're there on Google, listeners, just Google <laughs> Tim Wendelbow topless. There's some, uh, there's some much more interesting articles. <laughs> so, yeah, I basically just um, jumped on a f- the, the, the soonest flight I could to go and meet Tim. Because I'd, by that stage, done a bit of reading and was sort I'm of... I'm going to eat some chocolate now. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, go don't, for it. No, yeah, eat away. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I flew over as soon as I could and... And had another obscure interview with Tim at a cafe um, <laughs> just down the road from where the roastery was going to be opened in Grindelaka. And, you know, never been to Oslo before. Um, wasn't really sure what coffee to order. You know, sitting next to Tim Wendelbow. At that stage, I also didn't drink filter coffee, which is a, really? a very, very... And no. Did, did you know who he was? Aside from the person that's interviewed you. Very vaguely. You know, like a world champion, that's what I knew, I knew, I knew of the world championship because of Paul Bassett, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then had done a little bit more reading for, for whatever reason down the line. So I knew, I recognized his name, but mm-hmm. I certainly wasn't in that scene at all. Um, yeah, it was, you know, I think this is the, this was my second wave of coffee okay. or third wave. I don't know, whatever, but um yeah, flew over and sat down with Tim Wendelbow and thought, fuck, I don't know what to order. Can I swear on this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, great. You can say whatever the fuck you like. Okay, yeah. good. Um, and uh, sat there and I ordered a latte because I thought that'd be safe because they're not going to know what a bloody flat white is in, in Oslo. And you had the flat white. And yeah, yeah, exactly. That was still in my bag. Maybe you should uh, take it <laughs> your bag and show it to you. That would have impressed them. Um, and so he goes, oh are you sure you want to have a flat white? And I'm like, uh, sorry, a, a latte. And I'm like, uh, uh, why? Because it comes in like a soup bowl, essentially. <laughs> like literally, like a massive, huge, I don't know, it must have been 18 ounces or something, 18, 20 ounces. And he said, yeah, you, you should probably just have a cappuccino. So that was a great start. But we ended up talking about um, George Benson and music and... Um, and at that stage, he just wanted someone to manage the bar. So it wasn't necessarily, he, he didn't need a roaster then. He had a roaster already and I obviously couldn't roast. So, um, yeah, so a week later he offered me the job and I think I, I moved over a, a month later, about so, a week before he opened the roastery. So, like, even like, just parking coffee for a second, like, it's a bit of a culture shock, like the difference between Melbourne and Oslo. Mm. And London, Melbourne to London and then London to Oslo. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, weather-wise, I didn't... I'd been to Oslo a couple of times okay, right, yeah. in the middle of summer mm. with, with Meta, my then girlfriend. So, um, 
you know, I, it was beautiful. Like summer in Oslo is amazing. It's, it's light until, I guess in Dublin it stays pretty light pretty late. In summer? Yeah, yeah. If there's no cloud yeah, yeah. coverage? We don't get quite the sun that also gets, and mm. we don't get the snow that also gets. Right. We're quite yeah. bland. It's generally 12 degrees in Dublin all year round. Okay, yeah. So for me, it was like this, it was a just wondrous place. Mm. And um, Then and, the winter came. And then the winter came. <laughs> and the first winter was like this novelty. It's like, this is amazing. It's minus 20 degrees outside. And I sort of fumbled my way through it. And then the second one was like, uh, this is tough. Yeah. But I was loving work, so I stayed. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it, it, you progressed into roasting, obviously, and then, like, roasting was mostly for your job. I think it wasn't. Yeah. So I, I managed the bar, um, and you've been to, to, to Wendell Boats. Once. Not, once, once, yeah. I remember that. And, um, yeah, it's a small bar. It was a team of maybe six people. So, you know, my role as a manager was, it was about getting systems in place, and then it was fine. So... Ula Bratos was the original roaster at Wendelbow next to Tim. Um, oh, yeah. He used to be on the forums all the time. Yeah. Yeah. He was big on the forums. Mm. That's right. Um, and then he, I don't know, grew up or got bored of it. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. And then so he left coffee at that stage. No, sorry. Sorry. No, he went to Solberg and Hansen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I basically took over the roastery with, with Tim. Um, and was sort of the main production roaster, and we had a couple of other people while I was there roasting too. So, and was it, was it always roasting for you, or were you involved in, in the sourcing and driving through the jungle? And- Vaguely, to begin with, I went on a few trips. I did Colombia a couple of times with Tim, and um, Africa a few times, mostly Kenya. Um, and you know, he made me feel like I was part of it. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, massive amounts of experience came from. Uh, the excessive cupping and um, yeah, just learning a lot from Tim. Yeah. Because I didn't drink filter coffee before then, so it was like it was a, a steep learning curve for, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So then you, you've been back now in Melbourne for three years. Right. And somewhere along the way, um, I suppose no, actually, it would have been. Bef- okay, let me see if I can get this right. I'm gonna say it was 2009. When you decided to host the Aeropress Championships at Film Wendell is that right? 2007. Really? I think. Or eight, maybe. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And where did that come from? That came from... Well, the Aeropress was invented in, I think, 2005. Mm. And... um, There wasn't many places using it. Nobody was using it. And Ula, of course, who's heavy on the forums, obviously saw it and thought this could be a... Because Steve used to sell a lot of air presses. Oh, he did? Okay, yeah. So we, we brought some over and became the distributors in, in Norway, but we didn't really know how to use it that well. Um, so Tim and I thought, let's just do a little in-house coffee competition using the AeroPress mm-hmm. to figure out how we should serve it at the bar. Yeah. And it was three competitors. It was me, Chris Colbu, and Anders Valde. Um, I came second, Anders won and Chris came third. Um, Chris is shit. Chris is hopeless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's out of coffee now as well. He won't be listening to this. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, that's how it started. And, and it was three competitors in the first year and it was, you know, I think there was a cake. Yeah. And a, a, a bit of a laugh. And, and then the, was it 2009 or 2011? I'm going to say it's 2011, a host in Milan. Yes. Suddenly that was like, that was the first... It was starting to weirdly get serious. Yeah, well, it was... Yeah, Marco stand and... Oh, yeah, yeah. actually that year. It did, we did Oslo, Oslo, and then London. Really? Yeah. On the WBC brew oh, bar. Oh, yes, yes. I How I managed to get onto that is beyond me. I thought they just think, <coughs> I think they just thought it was a big, a big joke and this is never going to go anywhere. This so they were... to steal our market. Yeah, well, it was great because the second year we did it, we had... Um, basically a bunch of coffee celebrities competing either using surrogate competitors so people would send in like Hoffman send in his recipes and then he'd have someone else competing for him um and so I think off the back of that um I think Cindy got in touch with touch with us and just said hey do you want to do the competition in London and yeah and then Milan was great and that's when it started to sort of gather a little bit of traction and, and what 
like, so what is it about? Because there's something about the air press competition, yeah. and even at that stage, that is just so like approachable. It's just nobody has any problems with it. It's just like no, this is just you know, like everybody has the problem with press competitions. Yeah, I'm presuming you don't get angry emails from people saying that they deserve to win the air press competition, but I don't know. You know what? Wrong, but like, it is very. It's kind of like the puppy of all the competitions. And I mean, you're, you're yeah. The runt, I'd say, not the puppy. The puppy insinuates that it's cute. <laughs> um, the, yeah, the runt is, it's like a, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty loose and, and fun. It, you know, it's it's about fun and it's about having people come together and yeah. have a chat. And the idea, I mean, the, the idea with the actual competition was just to steal from the, the throwdown style where people would be competing at the same time and you'd loosely pick a winner. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't visual, it was taste. And um, you didn't have to present. You didn't have to say anything as a competitor. So it sort of opened the doors for a lot of people who are um, maybe not great public speakers or whatever. So, yeah. so And it was easy. You know, the rules were straightforward. And yeah, and it was, and it was fun. So when did, when did Nationals start happening? Like? They probably started just after around Milan, I suppose. Yeah. I'm trying to think when the first Irish one was. Probably... I think you've been doing it maybe a good three years. Just Lorcan, um, his surname I've completely forgotten, uh, organised the first year, I think. I think his surname, Far... Lorcan, Lorcan Fagan. Fagan, yeah. that's it. So he organised the first year ones, yeah. So they've gone, I think they've got three or four at this stage. Right? Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of turned into something of a, a monster now at this stage. It is, it's crazy. It's like over 50 countries now. So the WBC, I think, had 48 countries yeah. last year and, and we're going to have more than them this year. Yeah. So it's huge, like two and a half thousand competitors. We've done loose maths on, you know, in Poland, they're aiming to have a hundred competitors. They had 72 last year. What? Yeah. Um, in France, there are six regional competitions <laughs> and then the, the nationals in Paris. I mean, France of all places, um, you know, the United Arab Emirates had regional competitions, China which I've zero information on, on the whole competition itself, but apparently they had a multitude of regionals. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a monster. Are you actively pushing this? Because at this, it's fair to say, you can't claim all the credit, that, that Tim, Tim Williams is obviously involved in this. And it's a, it's a standalone company now and that generates its own income and has right. like proper yeah. administration, I'd imagine, as well. Yeah, I mean, that was nothing to do with me. You know, I was fumbling my way through it and... The guys at Arobi were incredibly generous in flying me around the world and paying for all of my expenses and, and, and that kind of thing. But I, it was never for me a, a business. Mm -hmm. And then, and then you know, Tim and I have been friends for a long time. Um, I've noticed. Yep. And he, he came to judge in Rimini. And, and at the time I Rimini had a... Rimini was shit though, wasn't it? Like... Not the competition, I just mean in general. Oh, the, the, the place? Like, yeah. Yeah. I just yeah. jump in and say that. It was weird. Yeah. I, I did it really well because I stayed at the Grand Hotel. You did? Which was beautiful. Yeah. And and Klaus was staying there and we I think we had a few snuggle nights. and um, <laughs> <laughs> That was a beautiful hotel. Rimini's a dump. Like The, the water was disgusting. The beach is kind of gross. Um, we managed a couple of good restaurants, but it was slim pickings. The really. oldest WBC I've ever been. To. Yeah, yeah, it was really strange. I'd never heard of Rimini before, no. before. Nor since. No, so so Tim judged that year with I think with Hoffman and Wendelbo maybe, and I had a conversation with him saying, you know, it's great doing this, and um, you know, do I do I let it go now because I need to focus on proper things, my proper jobs. Um, I kind of feel like I need someone to come on board and help me out. And of course, this is where Tim, um, and this is something he's incredibly good at as he built it, built it up and made it, uh, a proper company in itself. And, um, we're drawing in huge amounts of money now from sponsorship and we're both on salaries and it gives us, um, yeah, we've, we've promised a lot more to our sponsors and, um, and have the ability to connect a lot more to other countries and help them out with their, mm. their competitions. So it really, you know, since Tim's come on board, it's sort of grown into a, yeah. a much more well-organized, well-oiled. And you're conscious of keeping it like free and easy as well as turning it into a thing. Cause that's always going to be the challenge. Isn't yes. It? Yeah. I think, you know, there are people who get it. There are sponsors who really get it and really want to be a part of, um, 
capturing the audience that we capture. Um, so how many sponsors do you have? Like, is, is like grinder sponsors or is there yeah. like, is lifestyle sponsors? So we have about... Wait, did I agree to be milk sponsor last night? That's correct. Oh, fuck. You are. Yeah. Shit. You're up on the website already. Bollocks. So, I mean, just to be clear, listeners, you are not allowed to use milk during the Arrow Press competition. But I'm still in milk sponsor. But if you'd like a couple of pints, we have plenty left over. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've got we've got um, obviously Arobia are our major sponsor, um, but they're they're completely separate. They they step back and let us. I've never met an an Arobi person. Yeah, they're kind of like the kind of like the Matzer people. You know, I've never. Yeah, met well, it's of course Alan Adler who invented it. Um, Have you met him? Yeah, yeah, he's he's going he's well into his eighties now. So oh, really? yeah, so Alex Tennant he's is zero crack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sorry. He's, <laughs> sorry, Alan, if you're listening. Yeah, sorry, Alan. Um, yeah, Alex Tennant is basically running Aerobi now, and um, his, his granddaughter, Constance Adler, is um, sort of in line to take over, I think, as well. Or she's a significant part of running the, the yeah. business. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it's great. It's been, it's been a lot of fun, and it's been... A bit of a, a breather from the sort of more serious competitions, I suppose. Yeah. Um, you know, we make it clear that if you win the World Arrow Press Championship, there's no tour at the end of the year. Or, well, actually, we haven't announced, but this year's prize is actually really fantastic. Yeah, I can't. I can't. We, there's a couple of details that we need to work out, but it it involves um, a bunch of stuff. And you also get to go somewhere. I can't believe you've given us that experience. Yeah, no, you get to go somewhere. That's the, okay. that's the, the 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 best part. But we're just working out the details of that. Sweet. Yeah. And it's of course in Dublin this year, so. Um, but yeah, Dublin. It's gonna be. It's gonna be great. I think. Um, yeah, I mean the Irish competitions have been, well, the Irish have been great supporters of the competition for sure. Marco, early days were great supporters yeah. and. Um, yeah, Lorcan has been behind it for a long time, which has been great. Yeah. So, yeah, and it's we're always, I mean, until we're, um, well, I don't think we'll ever not. We always piggyback off the WBC, which I think is. The, the is WBC not. is actually a spin-off of the World Coffee Throwing Championship. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're, we're we're hosting them this year. Oh, that's great. So yeah. you were telling me last night about is the venue. Yeah, we're we're holding the World Coffee Throwing Championships at the RDS. And at the back of our sandpit, there's a massive convention center. So we're going to let them hold it there. That's great. That's really kind of you, actually. Well, you know, it's kind of like... A, You've done well. You're feeding the ecosystem, you know what I mean? Right. That's, that's the way I, I look at it. That's the way I look down on these things. Um, so... The, uh, you're not competing, are you? Are you, what are you? Uh, well, I'm a judge. So okay. Yeah, probably, because I could give myself a really good score. Good. I can, yeah, I competed last year. Good. When... Um, but I didn't feel like throwing because my arm is quite sore. So okay, but it's I not just, really about how far it goes, is it? Well, it is technically. I, actually. Actually. And uh, so, but I was my arm was a bit sore, so I actually just walked it up. Okay. Past the furthest bag and put it Good. down. Good. Okay. Which I thought was quite. Well, that's smart. I mean, there's nothing yeah. in the rules that says you can't. There is, but okay. Again, I'm a judge, so so you can yeah. on the fly change rules. Yeah, and who are you to question me? Yeah, um, absolutely. So, I'm terribly sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to that. That should be a lot of fun as well. So, um, but so just finding the World Airpress Championships by far the greatest thing about the Airpress Championships, besides your good self, is uh, the posters. Yes. Like. Yes. I would like buy framed posters they're amazing yeah they're they've every year i'm surprised by the level of quality um and design work that's done on them um what's your favorite one favorite? uh i think one of my favorites actually the one for rimini that we had done i really am fond of which has a a hermit crab coming out of an aeropress. Oh yeah, that was cute. Um, there's been some. There's been some more risque posters of late as well. Um, I think in uh, the Netherlands, I think had um, you know that little boy who is on a water fountain. No, that's in that's in that's in Belgium. Is that Belgium? That's okay, yeah. Le Manquin Piece. Ah, yes. There you go. Yeah. So that was 
more, one of the more risque ones. Um, we also we had an unfortunate little episode uh, a couple of weeks ago with the with the Singapore um, poster, um, which caused a um, inordinate amount of fury on on social media. Yeah, yeah, so it was kind of depicted a lady in. Uh... Yeah, it was it was a pinup girl basically from you know a hat tip to the World War One, sorry World War Two. And it, it didn't, it, yeah, it, I was happy to pull it because it did, it, the message wasn't great for sure. I think it's, if you're going to, it was there to be interpreted the wrong way, I think. So, so we pulled that. I think um, it's, that's probably like, I think like, first of all, there's enough of that in the coffee industry. I mean, r- I remember the, the, the posters for Rimini were just ridiculous. Like right. Women in bikinis drinking coffee and stuff. And you're just like, yeah, it's a bit past that. Yeah. But like as the as the competition grows, there's, there's suddenly a bit more duty of care that you guys are taking on board. Absolutely. Because, yeah. So yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was the smart thing to do. I mean, I, I'm I was slightly annoyed at myself that I didn't it didn't I didn't flag it straight away, but that was a lesson that I had to learn, I suppose. And that's, that, that's fine. Yeah. Wasn't there, a, there was a Japanese one, I think. A couple of years back, that was awesome. I'm pretty sure it was Japanese, and I can't remember. There, yeah, like a Japanese sort of um, anime style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that. yeah. They've done some good ones. Um, this isn't very entertaining for the the podcasters because I can't see. They can't see. Yeah, trying to remember it. Yeah, but if you look at worldairpress.com, you'll be able to see a lot of the posters. Do you like a we don't we don't we're working on a, a much better solution for that because yeah. they sort of get lost in the feed yeah. uh, in the news feed because i've seen you know that poster you can get of what's the coffee, coffee cups of the world you know that instagram account yes and then you can buy this massive poster with all the yes yes i want that the poster yeah in the poster it's happening by like yeah. thursday would be yep right yeah yeah i'll get it printed tomorrow um so tell me about buriox then buriox um <laughs> Oh, I love it. Um, So Bureau, yeah, that's even better. Um, That is the brainchild of Tim Williams and I. Um, It sort of had a lot of different iterations. Um, Tim was sort of uh, working on a bunch of stuff while he was um, finishing up at workshop and um, I was on the other side of the world sort of working on what I wanted to be doing as well. Um, it was sort of an idea that I had when I first came back to Melbourne, um, and I started sort of putting out the feelers to all of the sort of established coffee operators in Melbourne. Um, for those not in the know, what exactly is that idea? So the idea, yes, sorry, it's, it's not a, it's not a, 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 an original idea, but the way we're going to do it, I think is going to be a little bit different. Um, it's essentially a shared roastery space. So um, you'll be able to uh, rent time on the roaster and then time in the, um, the rest of the space for QC and packing and um, sample roasting and uh, you'll have access to um, my palate and Tim's palate and Tim's uh, experience in purchasing and forecasting and, and all that kind of stuff. So. Um, it won't be a, a roastery where, you know, there's the roaster, there's the on switch, off you go. It'll be a lot more um, hands-on from Tim and myself. It means a big deal. Like, it's... I often wonder, like, is it... Um, and Steve is going to be probably this blood boiling if you hear me say this, but, like, I wonder do people um, overvalue the fact that they roast their own coffee? Does that make sense? So yep. like, because we used to distribute has been in Ireland. Yep. And then once we read, reached kind of critical mass, I was like, yeah, no, let's, let's open a roast for you, know? Yep. So we'd like, at the time we had about half a ton a week. So we we're like, yeah, look, we can, Yeah. there's a viable business there, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it was a big thing for us. Um, and like, I think in every city I see you, like, you know, I've met roasters who have customers who are big accounts and then they get so big, they go, oh, fuck it, I'll do it myself. Yeah. And it's ha- it happens quite a lot here as well. Yeah. And so you, you're obviously going to help them because there's a huge cost in setting up a roastery. Yeah. So you're going to facilitate that, that. Now, so if a cafe owner comes to you and says like, yeah, listen, to be honest, I just, like, you guys, you could do it and I'll just stand here 
Like yeah, see, that's not what we're really interested in. We're, we're essentially wanting to set up a little mini community as well and um, it, for it to be sort of genuinely collaborative. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to be us doing all the, the work and um, them sitting back and, you know, reaping the benefits of having their own roasted coffee. It'll be for people who... You know, it's more of an incubator. It's for people who n want to learn or for people who know how to roast already but are not at the size where they can afford to open or um, open their own roastery to, you know, have a roaster sitting there for 75% of the time. And I'm sure at some stages it could be a vehicle for people to get through a process and go, actually, I don't want to do this. That's right, yeah. And that's, you know, if, if, if we manage to do that, that's, that's fine. And if we manage to... Um, get people to be like, all right, we're going to do our own now because mm -hmm. we're hitting X amount of volume and it, it'll make sense for us to do ourselves. We want it to be um, a scenario where people basically go, why Why would I open my mm -hmm. own roastery? It's all here. Um, and, and you guys will be sourcing green then as well? Eventually, yeah. yeah. We'll be helping <laughs> a lot with the sourcing. Mm -hmm. um, we're really fortunate in Melbourne now to have um, three or four um, great green importers mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know even a couple of roasters now who are looking at you know selling some of their excess green which I think is really interesting as well and that's a bit of another conversation yeah well like, there's no point having kind of 80% of a container filled right bring another 20 in and sell it on um, it's certainly easier than you know finding a home for it once especially when you're this far from everywhere absolutely yeah so so there's there's plenty of um availability of green and it's only gonna go up and um so we'll definitely be helping people you know it's a lot of it is about forecasting and and um that's where tim will be really helpful and then the actual roasting element is obviously where i come in and and on the cupping table i think we will both have our um uh assistant yeah. hats on as well yeah so like he's not here to defend himself but, like, from what I know uh, from my intimate relationship with Tim, mm. um, he, to me, like, the things that drives him are, like, sourcing, actually going to origin, and then also, like, creating, like, like watertight systems. Yes. Like, Tim is, like, big on procedure protocol. And yes. Systems. Yeah. He, so, so yeah. like, if you had everything lined up from A to Z, that business model is completely functioning well. Yeah. Like, what drives you? Where do you want to be? What um, do you want to be doing? I want to get back into sourcing. I mean, I felt like I left um, Wendelbow on the verge of being able to do a lot of that myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, um, you know, if we're talking about wanting to improve, um, let's just say, coffee itself, mm -hmm. that requires time spent at Origin, I think. And I need to have a better understanding of how all of that works. Um, it's also about wanting to um, improve the entire system itself and improve the lives of people as well. Um, and so I think that that's where I sort of want to head eventually is, is back to, to, um, um, to origin and back to green coffee. And, um, but I think, I think I'm, it's not, it, I may not necessarily be, the right person for that. I think there are people who are more talented at that kind of thing than I am. Um, but um, in terms of what my skill set is, I think um, I'm certainly more of, um, I think something must have worked when I did marketing because I feel like I'm a little bit more across that and um, a bit more of a face of a company as well, which is um, really important. And I'll be managing a team of six different members who are all have different needs and requirements. And, yeah. and so to, you know, creating that atmosphere and that working environment is something that I will really be focusing on. Yeah. And just making um, people feel welcome in that space. Is absolutely. Part of it. Yeah. So, so that's going to be a real key role to me, yeah. for me. And, but there's no way in the world that I'd be able to do this without someone like Tim. Yeah. And I think, uh, I'd like to think that he could reverse that sentence and, it be the case um, for him as well um, and that's fantastic it's great that we're we're 
we have two different skill sets. So uh, your roasters on roof, like you were saying, and you've got uh, customers yeah. lined up already. Yeah. So Patricia Coffee Brewers in 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 Melbourne, and then uh, Everyday in Collingwood, and Assembly in Carlton. It's oh, um, a lot of coffee. Yeah, it's a fair bit of coffee. It's a really good start. And then we have, um, we're in conversations with three or four other people. Um, so yeah, we're going to, I think we're going to get, reach a really lovely level of mm. membership and hours on the roaster relatively quickly. Um, it'll be a huge amount of work on my end to begin with, because there's guys who have never touched a roaster before. Yeah. So we're going to have to very quickly get them up to speed. Um, um, so yeah, it's great to have those guys on board. They're kind of the darlings of Melbourne, I suppose, yeah, yeah. those three and businesses. It's, it's a typical thing, I suppose, because like, well, I know very little about running roasteries. Or, or, mm. uh, well, at least I know very little about roasting coffee. But they, um, it's one of those things, like Steve always says to me, that the way you get good at roasting coffee is roasting coffee. Like, yes. You, know, you need that, that long-term experience of yeah. doing it all the time. Like, so that would be the challenge. The... Like the other thing that I'm thinking is that like, if you have, <clears throat> all those places are great places, all right? And is, if someone, let's say, if someone that runs a cafe that's doing pretty good volume, let's say they're doing 150 kilos a week, and they they rock up and they're really great people, you trust them, they seem really sound and they, they, yeah. they want to do their thing. But their, their belief of like, what constitutes great coffee is completely different to you. Yeah. How do you handle that one? Oh, go for it. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I do not want to be imprinting my preferences on on um, the members. Because that could be a really dangerous thing. That could be really terrible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I will certainly give my, you know, complete honest opinion. Yeah. But I want to put them in control of what mm. they want to do with their product. We're, we're just facilitating yeah. them to be able to do exactly what they want to do. Um, so, you know, the mechanics and process of roasting itself is very easy to learn. Um, all the work happens, obviously, on the cu cupping table and being able to translate that in, in, in the roasting. Um, so it'll be completely open for people to do essentially what they want. Mm -hmm. What's going to be really important is do these guys get along with the other members that are already here? Yeah. Um, I think that's that's really key because I want to see all of the members around the cupping table together mm. openly feed, feeding back on, on, what, on what they're thinking about each other's coffees. It'll I be mean, interesting to see the diversity. So that's, I, mm. I, I don't know if you're going to work it this way, but if you've got, let's say, uh, I don't know, 20 bags of, let's say, finger tamana, mm. and you, um, you get it in, you split it out, amongst four different cafes mm -hmm. and they're all roasting it. Yeah. Like it would be interesting to see the diversity and flavor profiles there. And do you get like a kind of a convergent taste profile or do they all just go their own different ways? Yeah, I mean, it's of course it's possible. I mean, you could argue that about roasters who are completely independently roasting here yeah. in Melbourne. There's a level, um, there's sort of different bands of different styles of roasters. So, um, but you know, it, that's sort of another conversation again as well is the, the exclusivity on coffees um, is one of the first sort of things that is often asked of us is what happens if everybody starts roasting in the same style? Yeah. Like, um, like when women live together, their cycles sink, <laughs> you know, that's a really bad analogy, but, um, but yeah, I mean, and I, I just think that the, at the, at the, the end user doesn't care. Yeah. You know, the, the, the reason why a person is going to a certain cafe or the reason why a person is buying a certain coffee, um, it's not about the farm, unfortunately. It's more about the environment of the cafe or the person that's serving the coffee or the locality or whatever. So, so I don't think that's a major issue. And I actually quite like the idea of having a single um, coffee roasted by four different people, mm. you know, Super interesting. It'll be really interesting. Yeah. Looking yeah. Forward to that. Yeah. So obviously here in Melbourne, you're at the at the pinnacle of coffee excellence around the world. Yes, we should have started with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, am I? Are we? I suppose. Well, I don't know. Like it's it's in Dublin. There's a thing where like we get versus kind of swaggering into cafes and like sliding their CVs across the table and be like, 
I've been to Melbourne. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. Oh, so that's all you need to do now is yeah, having, yeah. yeah. And, like, in, in truth, when I came here a couple of, uh, was it 2013 is the first time? Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty good because it was actually pretty impressive. Like, yeah. Um, and what do you think about Melbourne? Like, are you, in terms of the coffee scene here, you, yeah. do you think it's peaked? Do you think it's, there's, I don't know. Like, every time, this is my third year here in a row. Every yeah. time I come, somebody says to me that, like, oh, yeah, it's, just, it's reached the point now where it's just, it's complete market saturation. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'd like to think that what happens is that, you know, coffee just continually tastes better and better and better. And how that happens, you know, it's, I'm not quite sure of the process there um, or what's likely to happen. Um, but I don't think it's, I don't necessarily think that there's too much diversity mm-hmm. of coffee. I think there's a, there's a slight homogenization of like branding and cafe design and, and um, service style and that kind of thing. And, and a lot of people are kind of reluctant to sort of be a bit risky about that I, element. You say that, and I know people from Melbourne say that, but as a, an outsider walking around, I just see incredible diversity in cafes. Yeah. But there's definitely a... There is a bit of a red thread. Um, yeah. But there's also, of, of course, there's complete diversity as well. Mm. Yeah. Like if we just talk about those three members I was talking about before, they, they've, a lot of those guys have come through the same pathways to get to where they are. But their three locations are starkly different from each other. Um, and so that's, that's a really good thing to know. Um, you know, Patricia is the epitome of great service and feeling like you're at home and, um, treatment of regulars is like family and all that kind of stuff is fantastic. Every day is this hub of creativity in Collingwood. Um, it's a little bit more casual. Everybody is friends, you know, it's got that, that air. And then the assembly guys are, um, They've got this really cute little space. They're doing really interesting tea services. They've got interesting way of pulling their espresso. Um, they're working with roasters that are outside of Melbourne. So they've all they're all they're all really different, and it's and it's uh, Mel- Melbourne is uh, healthier because of it. I think for yeah. sure. Yeah. So we kind of wrap it up soon enough now, but I think like one of the like it's a very broad question in a way, but like. What do you want to see in coffee in the next few years? Like, because you've been, I mean, in terms of coffee careers, there there aren't many people knock around that have a coffee career as long as you do. Yeah. Um, in terms of specialty. <laughs> Is it time for me to yeah. move on? <laughs> yeah. Like, like it's co- obviously come a long way. Like. Yeah, I think um, at the moment I've, I'm busier than ever, um, which is great. Um, you know, juggling two companies is certainly takes a lot of my time, but I'm probably enjoying it more often, more than before. Um, probably because they're two of my own companies and that's mm. a first for me. Um, but whether I stay in coffee forever, it's really hard to know. Like I have such a, a love for, for wine and food as well. And um, yeah, have a lot of friends and influences of all of our sort of cousin industries in coffee um, that I take a lot of... Um, lead from I suppose as well um I don't know I, th- I suppose it's really hard to say I think it's the same thing that I probably say year in year out is that you just want to see coffee quality get better and yeah. for it to be more accessible for people yeah I think that's about is that is that what's happening yeah. I don't really well, know yeah I don't know I'm not I don't feel like I'm very good at that retrospective kind of and, I suppose in a way though as long as something's popping up that's interesting it that you're gonna keep doing it, and but I I know it's weird because like I have people that work in the shop that kind of say to me they're like oh you know, like there's a sense sometimes that like oh well, like that's it now we've we've done everything but then you look back a couple of years and you go oh but did we fucking we used to do it that way like it's I I can't stand that viewpoint that we've nailed it yeah like, like that's it's, it's somehow hard to see what like mm. what's coming next I don't by any means think that we have nailed it but 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 yeah. All the flutters of trends and and um, constantly changing our mind about what coffee should be and is amongst ourselves mm. creates obviously incredibly difficult uh, industry to follow from 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 the um, the general public, and I think that that'll just settle down a little bit now, and I think we'll probably have a better sense of what the important things are and and what 
things are just you know little fads and phases and yeah yeah noisy people and um yeah are you looking at me like I'm the yeah person? well coffee throwing is obviously the fourth wave and yeah, you're going to come to Dublin and throw in the coffee throwing championship. I, well, can I, how do you enter? Is there like um, a because well, I, I I don't really enter into coffee. I believe there is an Australian uh, coffee throwing championships being arranged. What at the moment? Yeah. Now what we could do is do maybe regionals, uh, but also uh, we felt it was incredibly important for us to be able to throw our weight around. Right. So if there is an Australian coffee throwing champion declared in the competitions, yeah, um, we could. I could just give you the award, to be honest with you, if you wanted to. That's fine with me. Yeah. I, I love... We yeah. come up with a different title for them. Yes, okay. Well, we need... To, well, look, I, th- I just feel like... I, I want to I wanna compete. I wanna, I'm competitive, actually. Really? Yeah. What coffee would you choose? Uh, <laughs> um, maybe an Australian coffee. Really? Can't yeah. And why is that? Um, well... I feel like it's worth throwing about, I suppose. It's yeah. all it's good for, I, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. All right. You can yeah. bring some sky, sky breeze, is that what they call it? Or some things like that? If I just... I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. know. Well, yeah. Well, well, there was a... Well, Tim used an Australian coffee in his WBC blend really? in 2004. I don't think I've Mount, ever tasted it. Mountaintop, yeah. Australian coffee. Well, it's, it's all garbage now. There was a flutter of um, it being actually worked on and, and really? for the quality to be, to be... Well, maybe with all this genetic research that's happening that that they they can spit something out that is possible, possible to cultivate in, with, uh, with tasty consequences. Yeah, well, let's hope so. Yeah. I mean, I would have loved to have done an Australian coffee for Noma. That would have fit in really well, but they just... I had tasted a few recently and it's... Um, really? It's dire straits, yeah. Okay. Well, mm. maybe there's some redeeming features and it's... There, it's throwable. Yeah, exactly. Aerodynamicy? Let's 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 use it from now on. Okay. Well, thank you very much for chatting to me today. My pleasure, and uh, thanks for listening to my drivel, everybody. Yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, good to see you. You too.